Welcome to Jews on Film. My name is Harry Adamsasser. I'm one of your Jewish film podcasters. And joining me as always is Daniel Zana. Hi, everyone. My name is Daniel Zana. I'm a video editor, documentary filmmaker, and I'm hoping today's guest will help make me a little bit smarter. Our guest today is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Her Again, Becoming Meryl Streep. He is a staff writer at The New Yorker, where he has contributed since 2006. His work has also appeared in The New York Times, Vanity Fair, and other publications. His latest book is Oscar Wars, A History of Hollywood in Gold, Sweat, and Tears. Michael Schulman, welcome to Juice on Film. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being here. Um, we're excited to discuss the film Born Yesterday, uh, the 1950 version, directed by George Cukor. Cukor? Cukor? Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, I, I, I'm tempted to just pronounce it like Catherine Hepburn, which is like, Coo, George Cukor. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> nice. Uh, you know, to start out, we, t we mentioned your book, Oscar Wars. Uh, I was saying before the podcast that you, you paint a very uh, rich and detailed context of, of Judy Holiday and... Um, and it seems like this is this is a film not to be missed. So everyone, if you're interested in watching the movie, pause the podcast, go watch it, come back, and then we'll discuss. But I wanted to know kind of right up top, like what made you pick this film? Well, just quickly about my book, Oscar Wars. It's a history of the Academy Awards over nine decades in 11 installments. So each chapter takes one year or conflict or even a single category and goes really deep on it. And from the beginning, I always knew I wanted to do a whole chapter on the best actress race of 1951, which was just an incredibly stacked year. Um, so the nominees included Betty Davis for All About Eve uh, and Gloria Swanson for Sunset Boulevard. So these two incredibly iconic roles. And then they were both beaten by Judy Holiday for Born Yesterday, who somehow won this incredible uh, contest. And so the chapter in the book about this delves into the making of those three movies and what they meant in this moment in the lives of these three actresses and then how they all kind of collided at the Academy Awards that year. And um, this was actually the first chapter that I wrote in the book. It's not the first chapter in the book, but I, I literally was doing this research five years ago um, because it took me four years to write the book. And I started out with this, this part of it. And, um, you know, the instinct is to say, oh, you know, it, it, Gloria and Betty Davis were totally robbed. But I mean, Judy Holiday is just incandescent in this movie. So good. And I loved learning about her life. Um, this was her signature role. Um, and I don't know, I just thought it'd be fun to revisit. And it, it, there's a lot of Jews who were involved in making it, including her. Yeah, I, I loved having the context on this and, you know, reading about the whole, you know, uh, the best actress category and kind of how she won there. And I'll admit, you know, and I'm not such a student of, you know, historic film history that I would know all of this, but I think I was watching it and maybe the first you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes of the performance and saying, you know, I guess they awarded different kind of performances back then. Like, this is very ditzy. It's like a lot. There's something going on here. But she completely won me over as the movie goes on. And obviously, that's kind of part of the process and the evolution of this character. But it was really, it was just so captivating. And I was, you know, I was completely on her side by the end. It was a really, you know, fascinating performance. And, you know, obviously against a lot of competition, but I would say justifiably, uh, she, she won for it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think... Having, you know, after reading your chapter, you also talk about um, 
Sunset Boulevard and All About Eve. And for those who have not seen it, um, myself included, sorry, uh, but I do plan on watching those two movies. But like, how how would you compare Judy Holiday's performance in this movie in terms of its range or her, you know, as an actress compared to the other two? Were they, you know, as comedic? Are they as larger in life or? Wait, you haven't seen All About Eve? Should, oh we, my God. should we stop the podcast right now? It I'm is so the sorry. greatest. For a couple hours. Yeah. I can't believe it's the, I'm like jealous of you now because now you get to watch it, but it is, it's just the greatest. It's my favorite kind of old movie. Yeah. Um, in, in, I guess pre 1960 movie. It, it is just the wittiest, funniest, most like bitchiest, <laughs> greatest thing. It, it is so great. I've, I, I'm never not in the mood for All About Eve. I mean, I, that is a, a performance that is very sort of, I mean, Betty Davis plays Margot Channing, who's this very over-the-top, raspy, uh, droll theater star um, who is, uh, basically, she she has this fan, Eve Harrington, who takes over her life. And it's just, she, she delivers these incredible lines, like, most famously, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Um, and Ann Baxter, who played Eve, was also nominated in this category, which just adds to the, you know, the incredible richness of performances. Um, and then, you know, Sunset Boulevard, it's just like Gloria Swanson was a silent film star who had been out of the spotlight and then came back as her big comeback to play Norma Desmond, this silent film star who has totally faded and kind of living in her fantasies of her fat, her past fame. So that was instantly a kind of iconic role that people that sort of had to do with who she really was and the return of this, you know, kind of forgotten star. I would say that uh, Judy Holiday in Born Yesterday is a much more comedic part. And yeah. I think that the Oscars rarely reward comedy performances so yeah. this is a rare example of a, a comic tour de force performance beating more dramatic roles although i think all about eve is also incredibly funny um i mean notably she's a much younger actress too and she was kind of this was her her breakout role so i mm -hmm. think that um there was some excitement around that but really at the time people assumed that it would be either betty davis or Gloria Swanson. So it was an upset. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, like the, the, like you talked about it too, Harry, like the, the way that her character evolves, the way that the role calls for like quick witted dialogue comedy, but then also towards the end, you know, as she sort of stakes out on her own, she kind of asserts herself and has, you know, quite a few good and tense dramatic scenes, which I really enjoyed. So I'm very excited to discuss it. Well, we've reached that time in our podcast where Harry's going to give us the IMDb summary of the film for those who have not watched it and have decided to listen through to the podcast to see if they do want to watch it. Sure. Well, the good news is this this uh, summary is not going to spoil much. Our conversation might on the other end, but you're not going to get it from the summary, uh, which reads very briefly, a tycoon hires a tutor to teach his lover proper etiquette with unexpected results. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Sounds kind of like she's the last character mentioned in that sentence. And I, it's it's really a movie about a, a kind of archetypal dumb blonde who, you know, 
realizes that she's actually smart and capable and sort of, you know, falls in love and turns on her dumb fiance. So I would put her first in that sentence. Yeah. yeah. yeah well put. I would say the, the unexpected results that they kind of, you know, vaguely covered the entire, I mean, they, they missed the entire, you know, point of the plot, I think, in that unexpected results. And I think you captured it much better there. Yeah. I mean, this is totally her movie. Everyone else is kind of like, you know, uh, window dressing sort of, I mean, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, Harry's character, he's just this big brash guy, but doesn't have a lot of substance. And, you know, Paul played by William Holden is fine, but he's, you know, he's like a textbook. He's very, I thought his performance was fine. I mean, you know, it, it did the job, but I think I'm a, I'm a big, uh, Billy, Judy, Judy holiday slash Billy Don fan. So, um, I was talking to Harry before how I felt like very much that, uh, you know, Fanny Bryce must have pulled a page from this movie just in terms of like her independence and her quick wittedness, like Barbara Streisand's portrayal of Fanny Bryce in funny girl. Like they, they, you know, reminded me of each other for sure. Well, yeah, but I also wonder if there were elements of the real Fanny Bryce. In oh, sure. The yeah. story, because we, you know, what little we know about Billy's background, she come, she's, she was, she's a showgirl who was mm -hmm. sort of, oh yeah, taken out of show business by this galoot. Um, but I think there's a kind of uh, like a showbiz floozy archetype that uh -huh. she's based on. Oh uh, yeah, that's a good point. I had not thought about that because Fanny Bryce, you know, like was a real person. I've yet to see Funny Woman. I'm not sure if that's worth checking out or not. I think that came out in the '70s, but maybe for another episode, Harry. The lesser talked about sequel, but you know. Um, well, let's take a quick break. We'll come right back and we'll kind of jump into to some of the discussion points and talk a little bit more about the plot. Does that sound good? All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Jews on Film. We are here with Michael Schulman discussing the film Born Yesterday. Um, and so you know, as we're kind of jumping into the film, I did wanted to, you know, give everyone uh, a few, a little bit of context around this film. And Michael, please jump in. Uh, by all means, you are welcome in the context corner. So yeah, as we're as we're jumping in here to to discuss the film in more detail, I want to give a little bit more context, uh, you know, to the film Born Yesterday, the 1950 version. There was a 1993 version later on, but we're talking about the 1950s version. Uh, this film was written by Albert Mannheimer, and it was based on a play and had screen screenplay revisions by Garson Kanan. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Michael, uh, if you had any you know, insights about the, the Broadway play that sort of inspired this film. And uh, if you feel like the film ultimately was like a successful adaptation into the film medium. You know, I actually saw a, a revival of the play a couple of years ago on Broadway. Oh, nice. And it's pretty much what we see in the movie. You know, I think you can tell the movie is a bit stagey and there are yeah. these attempts to get out in the world and have them go see monuments in Washington, which obviously aren't in the play. But other than that, it pretty much is all set in this hotel in D.C. Um, the So Garson Kanan uh, was a Jewish playwright. Mm -hmm. um, he was actually married to Ruth Gordon, you know, Ruth Gordon. Um mm -hmm like from Rosemary's Baby. Um, and uh, they wrote together, I think they co-wrote Adam's Rib. Um, but the thing that should be said about the play is that it was this overnight success for 
Judy Holiday. Like this is the reason she was a star is that the play was in out of town tryouts in 1946, I believe. And it starred Gene Arthur, the the famous comedian from uh, Frank Capra movies in the thirties. Like it happened one night. She was not getting it. It was, she was changing lines. She was unsure of herself. And finally she just called in sick and basically never came back. Judy had a small role in a Broadway play and uh, the producers told her she had, you know, three days to learn the part and rehearse the part, um, which she did. And she basically triumphed. It moved to Broadway uh, with Judy and ran for years. Her name was eventually above the title. And she was like this overnight star. It's such a show- showbiz cliche, but that's what happened. Wow. That's yeah, it's it's uh it's awesome to hear that. And I think, you know, going from, you know, Judy becoming a star in this Broadway play to then the journey for the play to then become a movie was a whole story that you kind of talk about um, in terms of the casting process. Uh, you know, who else was sort of considered for this role of of Billy Don in the film? What are some I mean, of the more kind of notable crazy names? that they didn't just yeah, it's kind of crazy. They didn't just give it to Judy Holiday because she it was the signature role of hers. But as we know, right. you know, the person who makes the part famous on stage often doesn't get to play it mm-hmm. in the movies. That's kind of a classic Hollywood thing. And so they looked everywhere. I mean, first they wanted, uh, you know, so um, Columbia had the rights and they uh, wanted it for Rita Hayworth, who didn't do it. She ran off and married a prince. Um as one they does. <laughs> tested everyone like Lucille Ball, uh, Marilyn Monroe, who was really unknown at that point, um, and it dragged on for a really long time. And poor Judy was, you know, starring on Broadway in this role, thinking, oh, my gosh, this is devastating to me. I don't get to do this on screen until they finally sort of cycled through everyone and went back to her um, and she got to do it. Um, she had had really bad luck in Hollywood earlier in her career. Um, she'd been cut from movies. She'd been dropped from Fox. The uh, Daryl Zanuck had sexually assaulted her in her in his office, like this classic sort of Me Too story. Um, and the president of Columbia, um, one of the Jews behind this movie, Harry Cohn, he he's sort of the bad Jew of the mix. He's he yeah. was a sort of notoriously crude, uh, you know, very uh, you know he was he was like the Harvey Weinstein of you know the classic era. He was right. notorious for uh, sexually harassing his stars. Um, he had this thing where he would judge a movie by whether his butt moved during it. Like he used to say, if my fanny squirms, it's bad. If my fanny doesn't squirm, it's good. And uh, Frank Capra nicknamed him his crudeness. And he was really against Judy Holiday because he called her like a, you know, fat Jewish broad or something like a fat ass. Like he was really, you know, he was he he really had this aversion to her um, because she was kind of, you know, she was big bone. She was very Jewish. And, you know, she didn't have that natural sort of, you know, Hollywood bombshell body. So she went on this extreme diet and really starved herself um, to sort of become a movie star. She had already gotten a new name. Of course, she was born Judith Tuvim, but 
that was jettisoned naturally for something less Jewish sounding, right. uh, Judy Holiday, um, which actually sort of derives from the Hebrew for holiday. So it was a little bit of a Hebrew in-joke. Um, and, uh, you know, they gave her a platinum blonde hairdo and stuck her in the movie. Yeah, I mean, she is... I, I I don't know if she's like the originator of this like dumb blonde stereotype, but she certainly is carrying on the tradition. And if I read correctly, tell me if I got this wrong, but um, at one point she beat out Marilyn Monroe for a role. And then later on, Marilyn beat her out for a role in terms of the. Yeah, like basically. Some, I mean, yeah. well, Mary, well, Marilyn, uh, I, I guess, tested for, oh, tested. for okay. yesterday, but she was really, you know, not a star yet. Right. And then later on, uh, Je uh, uh, Judy had a, 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 almost starred in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, but then Marilyn got that part. And so Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is, had been a novel in uh -huh. the 20s by Anita Luce and then a Broadway play in the late 40s. And that kind of was part of the archetype of the dumb blonde. And then the, Born Yesterday kind of... Uh, you know, made it even stronger. And then mm -hmm. once Marilyn Monroe became an icon, she kind of embodied that as the sort of, you know, I mean, Jean Harlow had been the blonde bombshell in the 30s. So Marilyn Monroe kind of combined the dumb blonde and the blonde bombshell into the dumb blonde bombshell, you know? Right. So, so Born Yesterday was kind of a step along the way of that stereotype. But what's wonderful about it is that she's kind of not a dumb blonde in the right, end. Right, I was just going to say that. I think the movie challenges it. She has agency. She has intelligence. Yeah. You know, and part of the press around the movie was that, you know, Judy had uh, supposedly scored in the genius range in her IQ test when she was a kid. So they kind right. of like, you know, let the public know that she really wasn't dumb. But then in her, her Oscar campaign, she kind of went on radio shows and stuff and sort of played dumb in character. So there was a kind of you know, duality to her. Yeah. And I think the movie definitely makes the case, not just that she obviously gets educated, but that she kind of always was smart and was really unlocking that. You know, she has that line, like, turns out I, I enjoy reading. And I think mm -hmm. the movie, you know, less so is just in, I don't know how much time is actually spanned in the movie, but she's all of a sudden this, you know, scholar. And it's more, you know, this was a person who had been kind of stifled, but turns out actually did care for this stuff. Absolutely. And I think it's a, absolutely a feminist movie too i mean oh 100 you know yeah. this woman realizes that she has agency that she has wit that she can outsmart this um uh, this guy who's her you know her her crook fiance and um turns the tables on him i mean she definitely early on you know there's this scene where where they're playing uh they're playing gin rummy and yeah. she has such she has such a adaptability to like quickly sort her cards and and deal and count and all this kind of stuff and she's playing uh with her boyfriend uh harry and no offense um and <laughs> and and he's just like dumbstruck he's just you know he's he's short-tempered with her as he is throughout the entire movie but is just completely amazed at like how good she is at this and so yeah we do see sort of little twinkles of her intelligence kind of like peeking through uh throughout the movie and so yeah it's i wouldn't say that this film is like a dumb blonde film. Like you said, it's, it's anything, but. We'll wrap up this kind of context corner slash analysis slash that kind of bled into the movie. I think that was great. And, uh, and start talking about some of kind of the, the topics, ideas with the movie that we had, uh, 
you know, prepared beforehand, Daniel and I. But, you know, one of the things we wanted to talk about, and we mentioned earlier, you know, we, you were speaking about, you know, uh, Judy Holiday and how her name kind of changed and that, you know, it's kind of a classic story of Jewish assimilation, you know, burying your name, your past, the markers of what makes you Jewish. I mean, even, you know, adopting the blonde curls that she put on for the play, like it's clearly kind of this mark. And I actually found that this movie, the movie itself is in some ways, you know, telling an assimilation story. Like it's not just that she, this character, Billy is acquiring knowledge and becoming smarter for it, but it's very explicitly American knowledge. You know, this this film is based at, for those who haven't seen it, is based, you know, they're at a hotel in DC and she spends her time going on trips to the Capitol building and checking out some of the scenery and learning about the constitution and the bill of rights. And by the end of it, she becomes not just an expert, I would say in American politics, but a real champion for it you know she keeps defending the the rights of the people and right. she's she's kind of pushing back against harry who she thinks is corrupting or who is corrupting you know the democratic system so i wanted to hear your thoughts on what if you also picked up on this if the two of you picked up on this kind of assimilation read and what you think the movie really is saying about you know leaving behind your past and how we can work some of the jewishness you know is that stifling to her jewishness even on the meta level oh that's so interesting you know i think you're right I mean, one of the reasons I love this movie is that I have to say, um, Judy Holiday in it reminds me of my grandmother, Marilyn, um, who that, and I, I, I have to first say I'm not calling my grandma dumb, <laughs> but For the she record. had that kind of that kind of flightiness and that very high squeaky voice, like she was a she was like a, a, a you know a booby, and um, just some of her mannerisms. Were, were similar and her kind of spark and um and liveliness and funniness and so i associate this movie a lot with her and by extension i think watching it again thinking about the jewish context you know it did remind me of the kind of assimilationist patriotism of my grandparents generation the, the generation of american jews who you know fought in world war ii as my grandfather did and the idea that, you know, American ideals were so important and the sort of fervor that they had for what the country represented. Um, I think that was part of also the generation of uh, Jewish immigrants and children of Jewish immigrants who started the Hollywood studios. I mean, all of those super patriotic World War II movies, which were produced by people like the Warner Brothers and Louis B. Mayer and Harry Cohn, um, you know, part of it was a kind of defense mechanism, too, against anti-Semitism um, that uh, this is sort of covering the World War II chapter of Oscar Wars. But, you know, they felt those those moguls felt so vulnerable to anti-Semitism and they were um and and part of how they express how part of their their sort of defense of their own power was to produce super patriotic wholesome American movies. Um that kind of links back to Harry Cohn, um, who by the way was is sort of secretly in this movie. The, the 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 galoot head of Columbia because Garson Kane in the playwright had based uh, the character of Harry Brock on him. Okay, I, he nice. probably was too dumb to even realize that as he was producing the movie years later. But um, I don't know. I think that story of the sort of the 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 Jewish moguls of Hollywood kind of filtered in in some way. 
Um, but yeah, I think you're totally right. And there's, you know, in a way, the movie is a a, a class parable, kind of in the in the vein of uh, My Fair Lady, another George Cukor movie. Um, in that it's about this sort of lower class woman who has to learn how to fit into high society. Um, and, you know, I think there is certainly a, a, a Jewish kind of aspect of that. I mean, I, I, it's hard. I was trying to think like, is, is Billy Dawn even coded Jewish? Like, I don't, I don't really think she is, but I think right. that Judy brings her own kind of her own personality and eccentricity to it. And that incredible squeaky voice. Yeah. Chocolate's the most popular. I read that. You know, it's interesting how many interesting things a person could learn if they read. As I was watching it last night again, I actually heard a little bit of like a Yiddish inflection sometimes in how mm -hmm. she talks. Like, mm -hmm. right, I don't know. Right. I can't really do it. But like, you know what I mean? She came yeah. from a, you know, a, a, a sort of lefty socialist New York Jewish family that was steeped in the Yiddish theater. And so I think some of that just kind of bubbles up as she's right. doing this character yeah i mean i read like uh for billy i kind of read like a coded like midwest vibe going on you know with her dad pumping gas from far away i i kind of read that um as far as like harry i'm wondering like he's we know that he's from new jersey i wasn't sure if he's meant like you said he's in, inspired by harry Cohn, but i'm wondering if maybe they wanted him to be maybe like italian or something like that i i think it's it's unclear, but but certainly the assimilation that you're talking about, Harry. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the film, she sticks out like a sore thumb. One because she's the only woman in in this whole ensemble. She looks so different. She acts so different than everyone who's very much like a buttoned up person in Washington D.C. on business, and like she sets herself apart. And, and loves it like she doesn't mind being initially she doesn't mind you know singing along to the radio song and but at a certain point I think you know I think it uh Harry may you know says all right you know I think you need to go get some get some lessons from Paul on how to be a, a human being but that it doesn't come from her it's not as if she wants to assimilate I feel like it's sort of put upon her um she's more than happy to kind of sing her tunes and be her own person and yeah in terms of Harry Brock, the 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 junk seller yeah. uh, goon, I, you know, I didn't think he was particularly coded Jewish. Um, yeah. I, what occurred to me is that it would be a great part for Chris Christie. You know, he's a yeah. he's a New yeah. Jersey thug, basically. So if we're doing the remake, we should cast him. I, I I always like to imagine like who would be. You know, we always like imagine sequels or modern day remakes. I feel like, you know. Judy Holiday, I don't know who else could play that role these days, but I like I like the idea of Chris Christie as Harry Brock. Paul, maybe like a Ryan Gosling. I don't know. Maybe he's too straight laced. I don't know. And any thoughts? Well, on who I mean, could play there, Billy, there was though? a fairly recent remake with uh, you know, with Melanie Griffith yeah. and John Goodman and Don Johnson. Um, who I think are pretty perfect for those roles. I haven't seen that movie lately, but um, I don't know who's the who's the modern uh, uh, Melanie Griffith. Maybe Dakota Johnson. She can take. Oh over. yeah, was the '93 version? Did it do the job, or was it? Hmm. I don't. You know, I haven't really revisited it lately. I just I kind of remember it from my from childhood, like okay. seeing previews for it. But yeah, um, I don't. I mean, she seems like the woman for the job, Melanie sure. Griffith. Yeah. Did you 
Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Now that we've cast the remake, I wanted to jump back to just sure. some of the conversation sure. we were having about, you know, the assimilation. Because yeah. I think I think you actually, you know, Michael, you were talking about it and you brought up, I think, two very interesting sides to this question of, you know, Jewish assimilation in, you know, kind of in those decades and especially in those, uh, you know, post-World War II decades where... Right. It, it almost feels like this movie is negotiating with the two sides of it. I mean, there's one of it, which I think is definitely, like you were saying, in response to anti-Semitism. And we've spoken about that with a lot of past movies where you see, you know, attempts to kind of learn the American dialect or language. And in some ways, part of her socialization in the movie is like shedding some of her, you know, Yiddishism, some of her, you know, sarcasm and just like what makes her stand out from, you know, the more refined genteel society, as you would call it. So I think there's that kind of reactive assimilation. I think on the flip side, when you see the kind of very pro-American assimilation and, you know, maybe I'm giving it too much credit. It's possible that like a lot of these filmmakers, a lot of these producers were really coming from this place of protectiveness. Like, no, we promise, you know, we love America. I mean, you still see that, you know, nowadays where and not every, you know, Jew in this country has, you know, the same feelings about Israel. But there are a lot of times where people kind of throw that against Jews and they say, you know, if Israel were to go to war with America, like who would you side with? Where are your allegiances? You're not, you know, a true American. So I think that kind of protectiveness, like pro-America definitely exists. But, you know, on the flip side, you could also look at it as this generation, you know, swept up in that same kind of post-World War II fervor of pro-democracy. I mean, America was an incredible safe haven for Jews who had experienced much worse persecution in a lot of places, you know, where they were coming from. So on some ends, like, this might not be showing, you know, this movie, if we're going to read into this, this kind of assimilatory read, it might not Let's be do this it. Jewish. Yeah, it might not be this Jewish reaction, like, don't worry, we love America, too. It might be we really do love America. Like, let's make a very pro-American movie espousing how incredible America is in the face of fascism, in the face of, you know, the Red Scare, which we should talk about, which obviously yeah. underlied a little bit of the construction of this movie. It's possible that this movie is kind of negotiating both sides of the assimilation question when it came to Jews uh, in the early 20th century in America. I mean, it's it's interesting. You were saying, Harry, like, uh, you know, getting lessons from, you know, and shedding her Yiddishism. I think she's, you know, there's a lot of scenes where they're, you know, Paul and Billy are kind of hanging out and she's like, oh, you know, tell me if I don't speak good and, and help me correct my words. And and like on one hand, she is she is learning and she is growing and, and asserting herself. But at the same time, she's kind of losing a little bit of her billiness, which kind of, you know, she still has plenty at the end of the movie. But it's, you know, she is losing a little bit of, of her uniqueness in, in this sort of assimilation, which is, you know, by nature, that's what assimilation is. But, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it is like a tough balance to strike, I think. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I would say one of the, one of the contrasts between this and My Fair Lady is that she actually doesn't completely change her personality. It's more that she realizes that her sort of, you know, she obviously has street smarts, mm -hmm. which we see at the beginning, like, and she's great at gin rummy. Like, that's sort of your yeah. first clue that she is really skilled at things. Mm -hmm. um, but she doesn't consider herself someone who's, who reads, who's supposed to know things. Um, you know, she has that line at the beginning, like, yeah, I'm, I'm stupid and I'm happy I'm stupid. Um, you know, and, and she kind of, what I love about Judy's performance is that it has this almost like innocent curiosity, this sort of when she starts realizing how fun it is to learn new things, then she's just delighted by everything. And that is so much of the joy of the role is that and like when he tells her, when when Paul tells her that when paper gets old, it turns yellow. She has this line like, you're like, oh, what do you know? Like, you know, and learning new words. One of my favorite moments is um, when Harry uses a construction like you ain't gonna be telling nobody nothing pretty soon 
And she goes, double negative, right? Right. And then sort of right. flutters her eyes. It's like, it's, I actually watched it twice through last night because it made me laugh so hard. It's just her delight and her kind of absorption of new things. Um, I don't know. I, it's just, it is so infectious and so charming. Yeah. I love when she's like constantly checking in with Paul, like, did I do that run right? Like I call them, I call them a fascist or I call them a socialist or, or I call them antisocial or something like that, you know, yeah, just checking in and be like, is it 1777? Okay, great. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I love all her moments with the dictionary. Like right. one of my favorite <laughs> moments <laughs> in the whole movie is when um, the congressman, uh, asks if she, if she is one of his constituents and you just see her kind of side-eyeing the dictionary like mm, mm. <laughs> another just just it's just such a funny moment that she that the way she plays it is so it's just perfect comedy acting yeah yeah i will definitely be talking about that dictionary later when we get to some of the categories but you know i i agree what if we're talking about her kind of assimilating it's obviously not to the, the genteel conversation with the congressman in the beginning right. you know that's kind of yeah. why harry brings in the tutor is to get her to kind of that place mm -hmm. and while she does embrace america obviously that's kind of what we're talking about she doesn't embrace this kind of old ways like act polite but you know secretly be doing kind of dirty things on the side like even talking about the sarcasm you know while we're name dropping some of our favorite lines you know one of my favorite is when they start calling her like a double crosser and she says It's a great sarcastic like in your face like she's not going you know she whatever she's not siding with them she's clearly kind of evolving into this new you know much more thoughtful thinking for herself kind of person so it's definitely uh it's it's not that kind of you know closed off assimilating it's it's obviously something different yeah it's it's interesting like when they first introduce harry who you know for those who have not seen the movie very big guy yelling is his preferred means of communication with everyone you know, whether it's his business partners or whether it's his uh, fiance of seven years, Billy. But, you know, the way that he conducts himself, it's not as if Billy is this sort of uncouth person who needs to be like refined. Billy is, or sorry, uh, Harry is no better. Like he's, you know, meeting with people with his shoes off. He doesn't understand most of what's going on other than like managing junk yards and signing contracts with his lawyer who's, you know, a corrupt person who could have been an attorney general but decided to go down this more lucrative path um you know and sort of towards the end of the of the movie he's like the one tearing up books has no interest in bettering himself intellectually and that's where you see like billy and harry somewhat start out at the same place you know in terms of their so you know so he you know harry has learned some rules billy and and Harry have diverted completely by the end of the film where she is bettering herself constantly learning more, but still maintaining her billiness. Yeah. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask about something that I alluded to earlier. We were talking about, you know, the kind of communist lens to this. And I think I was surprised. I had seen the movie first, then I was reading your chapter on this and talking about how some people even accuse the movie of being pro-communist, which initially I said, this is the most fiercely pro-democracy movie I've, I've seen in a long time. You know, how could this be read communist? And Upon reflection, there are some talks about, you know, power to the people. The people are the ones who elected uh, you. Yeah. And I, I I see how it can get construed, but I could also imagine this was just kind of a way to tank the movie or maybe people trying to oppose it. So I wanted to hear if you guys or what what read you got of the movie. And also, Michael, if you could kind of fill our listeners in on some of the context of, you know, the, the Red Scare backdrop that might have motivated some of those comments on this movie. Yeah, sure. So what happened was um, 
Judy was named, uh, you know, in the months before the movie came out in uh, this pamphlet called Red Channels, which was a kind of anti-communist. Um, it, it was it came out of a newsletter by three ex-FBI people who uh, were basically trying to spur this paranoia that Hollywood was infiltrated with communists, that that communists were using glamorous personalities from movies and TV and radio to sort of to, to spread their propaganda through America. And um, this was early-ish in, in the Red Scare. Uh, Hueck had in, had first investigated Hollywood uh, a couple years earlier, 1947. But Judy was on this list. Um, many Jews and African-Americans were on the list. Um, Garson Kanan, who wrote the play Born Yesterday, was on the list. Um, I mean, it was it was a lot of people. And it basically listed, you know, which supposed communist fronts she had entertained at. And like she had signed a petition in support of the Hollywood 10, the, you know, the group of, uh, of accused communists who went to prison uh, a couple of years earlier. And um, so there was this sudden cloud of suspicion around her. And of course, she had come from this leftist uh, Jewish intellectual family. So there was kind of a basis for it. And it made her very vulnerable. Um, I mean, people started losing their jobs over appearing in this pamphlet. So it was a scary moment. And um, it, I'm sure, threatened her, her stardom and threatened the movie, which hadn't come out yet. Then what happened was a reviewer for a Catholic newspaper wrote this review, basically calling it a like diabolically clever Washington satire, but in a bad way, meaning it was it was subversive. It had sort of coded communist messaging. And because that was so ridiculous, people, there was a backlash to this guy, this Catholic reviewer, and none other than uh, Luella Parsons, who was one of the top, you know, gossip columnists at the time and very conservative. Um, she pushed back and said, well, if, if there's a drop of pink in this movie, I can't see it. So in a way, because the criticism had gone overboard, there was this now this sort of pullback, which sort of saved the movie in the end. Um, I mean, I think it's really interesting to watch it now. It's obviously so pro-America, pro-democracy, pro the Bill of Rights and the, you know, the Congress. And, you know, it, it's, it's absurdly pro-American democracy. And yet I could see how, you know, if you were really looking for it, there it's about corruption in government and this guy trying to buy a congressman uh, and pretty much succeeding until Billy uh, blows his cover. Um, Harry Brock is a sort of unrepentant capitalist, and that is painted in a very bad light. He's sort of the crudest version of, uh, you know, just a, you know, a fat cat capitalist pig essentially so uh, and then yes there you know the um the newspaper guy paul really believe he, he it seems like he's a little bit of a lefty but in such a pro-america straight down the line way you know he talks about how um you know america isn't living up to its ideals and you sort of get the sense it's because he's anti-corruption he's you know he's anti-money and uh, you know, dark, dark money. It's sort of like it's it, it feels very uh, up the moment in, in that way. Um, 
And I don't know. It's like if you squint, you can sort of see a, a kind of subversive lefty thing. But I, I just I, it's such a crazy stretch that I think in the end, that's why um, that's why it didn't really land the movie in such hot water. And she was able to win the Oscar anyway. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, I'm I'm not sure the state of journalism back then, but it seems like this one article from a publication I've personally never heard of managed to derail this film in such a way that it had, you know, a huge impact on its reception, you know, publicly and things like that. Is it just that, you know, if, if you made a splashy claim or a headline, people would then pick it up and it would sort of become this echo chamber or, or like people would amplify this this message or this headline and say, oh, well, if this article is talking about how it's bad, then I must cover it and and I must share that opinion because I don't want to appear against the tide or what was it that, you know, how could such a, you know, how could one publication have such a huge impact on it? I don't know. It's like it almost the way you're describing it reminds me of how t what Twitter does every day yeah. now, which is like someone writes a blog post somewhere saying that like the Super Mario Brothers is secretly fascist. And then like all of Twitter piles on and makes fun of that person. It's like that's the kind of thing in a much slowed, very slowed down 1950 version. Right. OK, yeah. interesting. It's, it's so funny because it's so funny to me because it's like this movie is even aware of that. Like you were talking about, yeah, you could cling to maybe some of the corrupt politicians but there's a line from you know his his uh the guy who works for him i think jim is the character yeah. who says you don't go around this town buying up senators and congressmen as if they wore price tags these guys are honest sincerely trying to do a job once in a while you find a rotten apple like hedges then you can have them but just once in a while this movie is, you know, to the point of almost being commissioned by the government, it is so pro-democracy and pro-government that, you know, it makes sense why that was kind of so, you know, easily dismissed. But it is interesting the way that, you know, Judy Holiday, her, like you said, her Jewish past, her, you know, ties to, you know, some of these communist papers could have threatened to, uh, to derail a movie that, you know, otherwise is so pro-democracy. So what sort of happened, you know, after this article came out and, and these pamphlets came out, you know, what was the end result for this film in terms of, uh, you know, Judy Holiday uh, and, and her connection to it? Well, the movie was a huge hit. Uh, she won the Oscar. So obviously that is great. Um, and then incredibly, uh, the year after she won the Oscar. So in 1952, she was called before a Senate subcommittee about her, you know, alleged communist ties and this was a very tricky situation as we know because if you're uncooperative they can blacklist you they can throw you in jail if you're too cooperative then they ask you to name names so it was a very tricky tightrope and what judy did was completely ingenious which was that she played the role of the dumb blonde from the movie and basically went in there and uh did a whole act like um you know, they asked her, like, did you know, you know, we, we've we read that, you know, you had a genius IQ. Did you know that Albert Einstein has ties to communist fronts? And she says something like, well, I don't see why, you know, I, I think they probably got into it the same way I did, which is why would you why would you go be a communist front? If you're a communist, just be it. Well, you know, whatever you are, be it. You know, it's, it's a total Billy Dawn line. And so by the end of this hearing, the senators were totally charmed by her and saying things like, well, I, you know, basically, I, I, I'm sure you'll be more careful next time, little lady. And she goes, ho, 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 will I ever, you know, next time I'm asked to do a cause that I'm just going to do cancer, polio or this, you know, um, and then just waltzes out on a cloud and 
totally fools everyone. She outsmarted them all in a kind of echo of the film. Nice. Um, incredible story of of her just sort of of this movie carrying on to real life and and Judy sort of realizing that she can use the perception of her as a dumb blonde in order to turn the tables and, you know, get away scot-free. Right. It's kind of like that scene at the end of the movie where, where they get pulled over by the police officer and he just shows the, you know, the marriage license. And he's like, all right, all right, next time, next time. So, you know, <laughs> she, she has a history of getting away from uh, authority, but using, using her, her wit and stuff like that. Well, this was a great discussion. Let's take a quick break and we'll continue with some of Harry's categories, the people's categories, the people's categories. That's right. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Jews on Film. We are here discussing the film Born Yesterday with Michael Schulman, and now we are at the people's categories. Harry, would you like to give us a little bit more information on those? Yeah, sure. So I will start us off with our first category, which is what is the most Jewish scene of the film? And uh, I wanted to hear from the two of you if you had anything that comes to mind. Obviously, this isn't such an explicitly Jewish movie, but you know, I'm sure we can come up with a couple scenes that are you know, the most Jewish in this movie. Hmm. Okay, I have one. Oh, okay, good. I'm going to say the gin rummy scene, just because it reminds me very literally of my my grandparents playing cards uh-huh. and kind of bickering a little bit over cards. Um, so I think the kind of the kind of side eye they give each other just feels a little bit like a you know old married Jewish couple. Nice. And who was yeah, the? Yeah, I'm sold. Who was the star sort of player? Was it your? Uh, your Bubby or your Zadie that had like the who was the one keeping score and who was you know who's giving who side eye? There... It was actually my my other grandmother, not the one who reminds me so much of Judy Holiday, uh-huh. who was really into cards, and she taught you know like she taught me. Uh, oh, now I'm gonna forget the name of it. I don't know. She was like a killer uh, card player mm-hmm. and very competitive. Was it like Canasta, one of those kind of games? It was like oh, spite. Is that it? Is that a card game? I don't know. Spit. Anyway, she no. It was. I think it was called Spite, but I could be wrong. But anyway, she taught she taught this game to me in her condo in Palm Beach. Sounds about right. <laughs> nice. So great. It's funny because Daniel, we we just uh, we just watched the movie The Apartment for a future recording of this podcast right. for an episode coming later. Yeah. And there's also a really big gin rummy subplot in that. And it just, it's funny because I didn't like, I, I didn't know the game. I wasn't so familiar with it. I learned mm-hmm. it a few years ago, but one, one day my dad just like started playing and was like very intense and into it. And it just feels like this, like, you know, this great two person game that probably has, you know, our bubbies and Zadies probably all love playing together. So I really, I really like that pick for kind of the, their dynamic as a very Jewish scene. Question about cards real quick. What was the card game that the Senator's wife was asking uh, Billy, if she played, and she said, "No, I played gin rummy instead." Oh, I think it was bridge. bridge. Yeah. Oh, is bridge like a more sophisticated? Like, uh, pardon me, this is not you know Jews on cards, but I, I know like poker and blackjack and spit, like you mentioned. But is is bridge a more sophisticated or more complex game that like gin is like maybe a lower class kind of game or? I have no experience with this, but I think so. Like bridge, I, I think bridge is definitely it has more rules and more okay strategy. Uh huh. So the implication there Jin, is that like Jin's, she's not Jin's smart. It's not hard to learn. Yeah, got it. But so I think even... also bridge, like they're like bridge clubs. I think it's meant to show you that there's this like upper crust, uh, sort of Washington wives, like 
culture of bridge clubs. Got it. That yeah. and Billy is probably gin rummy. I would guess is like something you learn and you know backstage at the Follies or wherever she comes from. Right. Yeah, yeah. It feels like if you've ever seen that movie Crazy Rich Asians, the way that Mahjong is kind of this like revered older game, and sure. it's you know the big twist is when you know whatever the younger character is also pretty good at it. I would argue that with like modern Jews, it's like the era of board games, like these like sort of craft board games, whether it's like Cards Against Humanity or Settlers of Catan or Blockus or, you know, we could do a whole thing about card games and or board games rather. But um, if it's OK, I wanted to enter my uh, mo most Jewish scene in, but I'm not Please. sure if it's like a stretch or not. Um, but the last scene of the film, uh, we hear we, we hear Jim kind of giving a toast to all the dumb chumps and all the crazy broads, past, present, and future, who thirst for knowledge and search for truth, who fight for justice and civilize each other, and make it so tough for crooks like you. And I thought that was like a l'chaim kind of, you know, you know, when you have a drink or something like that, usually you you give some nice words over and then you have a little l'chaim because throughout the film, they're constantly like pouring lots of drinks, lots of little shots. And, you know, he says uh, to all the dumb chumps and crazy broads, past, present and future who search for justice and civilize each other and make it so tough for crooks like you and like me. Um, so that just kind of reminded me of like saying nice words, like a nice toast. And so um it's a borderline between stretch and a and Jewish scene, but you know, to me, that sort of read as like a l'chaim, like a nice, nice send off, sort of speak. So, Harry, how about yourself? Yeah, I, I was gonna say the same thing. I think you're oh, kind really? of on the border, but also okay. no, not the same answer. I just oh, okay. the same uh, re reaction, which is that I think you're kind of on the border, but I okay. know that there are a lot of roots and you know toast l'chaims that they're kind of coming from the same place. So, sure. you know, if you want to call that a Jewish, you know, I know a lot of Jews that kind of you know get together over drinks, share some good thoughts. So I really, uh, I'm into that one. Okay. Uh, mine also kind of on the border, obviously this isn't such an explicitly Jewish movie, so it's kind of hard to pull out very Jewish scenes. But, you know, one of the things we didn't discuss with this movie that was almost my immediate takeaway when I was watching it in the context of Jews on film is just how bookish this movie is, how much it's really about the written word. And mm -hmm. obviously, you know, and I, I looked this up and obviously people have referred to the Jewish people as kind of the people of the book, you know, and, you know, both positive and negative connotations in a way that, you know, it's just kind of very as a people and as a tradition, we're very, you know, we, we cling to a lot of our ancient texts, whether that's, you know, the Bible, the Torah, whether that's the Talmud. And I almost want to say all the scenes that had a book in them just felt because like the, the way this movie as you know, we're going to ask good for the Jews later, but like good for just like, you know, being a book reader like it is and, you know, a strong advocation for that. Sure. But the, the specific scene that I'll call out as my most Jewish scene, and I told you I was going to get back to this, but that dictionary scene, because you know, that sequence where she's kind of running back and forth mid-conversation, flipping through, like I've learned, you know, from Talmudic texts before, and you kind of have to have three books open, including a Talmud dictionary. And you're like, you know, it's, it's literally sometimes every word back forth going in. There was something, you know, familiar, and I would say Jewish to me about the way that she really was kind of running between books like that. So that to me was my uh, most Jewish scene in the movie. Nice. Yeah. I, I also feel like, you know, similar to like a I don't know if this is more like a thing I would attribute to myself in high school, but like once I learned new words, I would definitely want to use them like Billy, whether it was Hebrew or English. Um, and then also seeing that word everywhere and you're like, oh, I just learned that word. Let me let me try to use it and, and kind of, you know, so all good choices. Now, you know, sort of being that we we were on the border for uh, for both of our picks, Harry, um, 
open to any other stretches that may have come up, you know, things that were sort of outside of what one would perceive of as like a Jewish scene, so to speak, but anything that kind of struck true. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I have one, which is um, just the idea that uh, the whole subplot about wearing glasses, mm -hmm. you know, like great. Um, Paul is a very handsome man in glasses. And then Billy at first resists wearing glasses because she's a sort of glam, glam girl and glamour girl and then she puts them on and you see harry do a, a double take when he first sees her wearing glasses at the end they're like the two of them uh paul and billy are kind of this this, this glasses duo and i don't know we are currently here three people with three jews with glasses so i think it's a it's a movie that um kind of normalizes being uh you know a tr like sexy in glasses uh, but i think that actually relates to um what you were saying harry before about how bookish the movie is and i think in a broader sense it's a great movie about just like how the smart guy is kind of the more appealing one than the more sort of macho guy um yeah. in that way it's like a little bit like like broadcast news almost like mm -hmm. and i don't think that paul the journalist is coded Jewish in any mm -hmm. particular way. I mean, it's it's William Holden, you know, um, I, he's incredibly, I think, attractive in this movie. And actually, he was also at the same time playing Joe Gillis in Sunset Boulevard. Um, so he was particularly great at playing like smart, cynical writers. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's possible that Garson Kanan, who wrote the play, kind of imagined himself as as Paul is sort of an idealized version of like a, a, a smart knowing writer. Like if I was writing a play version of myself, I'd love to be played by William Holden. Um, but in general, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a story about kind of choosing the smart guy in glasses, which I don't know. I'm, I'm for it. I, you know, as you're talking about Paul and like, clearly he's like so much better looking, he's got the glasses, he's smart, but like, what is the appeal of Harry? Is it just that he's like a sugar daddy sort of that provides Oh yeah, for he'll Billy? buy her anything. Yeah. yeah. And at a certain point in the movie, like she's got her mink coats, she, she has what she needs and like, that's it, you know, but I think he, he kind of, you know, uh, to use a modern parlance, he's sort of like not. It it allow me this stretch, but like he's kind of like red pilling her in a good way, where it's like, here's a book, try it out, see what you can learn. Like there's so much out there, and she's like, oh, okay. Um, but it really it it comes from Harry, like this sort of this directive to kind of educate her, and you know, he kind of uh, be careful what you wish for. Sort of situation happens where she ends up just learning so much and and becoming so much more uh, worldly, so to speak. Yeah. I love the glasses read though. I mean, I feel like, uh, <clears throat> like you said, we are uh, three Jews wearing glasses. I'm into it. Harry, what is your sort of stretch of the pod? I mean, it, it was the same one. It okay. was the glasses read. I right. immediately noticed them. I will mm -hmm. give a, a shout out to my sister. She just picked me out a new pair of glasses that I'm actually, if you're watching the video, you could see them. And I, I felt very validated just seeing a lot of similar styles in this movie from 1950. Because I'm like, you know, fashion trends can return. This is cool. If it was cool then, you know, I was, I was excited about that. But I had the exact same reaction. And not just, you know, I think we have a lot of this, uh, uh, like, observed, observed, uh, pattern of just a lot of Jewish people wearing glasses. Obviously, that's always been representative of a kind of coded Jewish character in a way that we've spoken about. But, you know, I actually learned recently that there are 
even like studies into whether that because they were an assimilated people that were forced to, you know, marry within and kind of keep their gene pool a certain size that led to a lot of people developing, you know, a lot of Jews specifically developing poor eyesight. Mm -hmm. I was going to, you know, to prove that I had thought about this even before you mentioned it, I had an article that or a research paper that I honestly didn't read, but I had the okay. title <laughs> Dissecting the Genetic Heterogeneity of Myopia Susceptibility in an Ash Jewish population using ordered subset analysis. Wow. And it's just to raise the point of this is something that people have looked into. There's a, right. there is an association between, you know, a lot of Jewish people, a lot of Ashkenazi Jewish people and, you know, glasses wearing. And, you know, like you've pointed out for those not, you know, listening to the podcast, not watching it, we are three men wearing, you know, similar glasses. And I, again, I don't know if that was intentional. Obviously that fits thematically with the movie in terms of them learning to read more, learning to see. I mean, her character, you know, Billy's character literally says she's like never been able to actually see, like she's kind of always needed it, but that kind of could be read as an intentional Jewish coding, working a Jewishness, you know, identifying these three characters as, you know, despite the blonde hair, these Jewish characters. And uh, I, I'm all for that stretch read of, you know, glasses. These are Jewish glasses. So I'm really just going to kind of piggyback onto your stretch. That's exactly where I wanted to take it as well. Nice. Well, basically, anything that's good for glasses is good for Jews. Exactly. There, there's a one-to-one -one correlation there. There's got to be. A hundred percent. I mean, those were good-looking glasses. I feel like they're they're kind of like tortoise shell, lucite, or like pla like thick plasticky. I would definitely sure. wear those. Um, you're kind of sporting. Let me paint a picture. You're kind of sporting kind of like these rounder black glasses. I'm wearing like rectangular black ones, and you're kind, you're also wearing like black glasses that are yeah. <laughs> But do they have like a little tortoise shell on them? Yeah, yeah. These are like Warby Parker, like blue. They're like blue tortoise shell color, okay. blue brown. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think Warby Parker should definitely sponsor this episode as we are talking extensively about glasses. And, you know, I, I have had Warby Parker glasses, I think the last three or four pairs. And there's definitely, uh, so use promo code Jews on film and <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Um, stretch wise for me, it's, it's a bit of a, there's so much that we've already talked about. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can I just can I just say that whatever I did before, what are the what are the rules state, Harry? When we go to you like can the halls earlier, talking okay. points. Yeah, okay. I've done that before. I say, yeah, I mentioned that earlier, but that okay. kind of was a stretch. So you could double dip if you need. You know, when we go to the Jews on Film Capitol and we see the huge Jews on Film Constitution on the wall. And, and, you know, you're touring me around. What are the rules here? So you're saying it's okay for me to, to reuse it. Okay. I Absolutely. think that's what I'll go with. Um, you know, hmm. Let's see. Yeah, I think that's it. I was going to say something about, nah, I, yeah. There's a lot of drinking in this movie, unrelated to stretches, but, I'll, you know, a lot of a lot of drinking in this movie, not so much food. So, right? I feel like there were not a lot, a lot of smoking, of, a lot of drinking. But not, no, like, no, like he... There's no like hairy gluttonous kind of scenes. I feel like I, that would have given me a little bit more like Jewish, yeah, that's, Jewish, so Jewish. Not so Jewish, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so maybe that'll factor into my rating. So, all right. So we got our Jewish scene. We got our stretch of the pod. Let's kind of move on to numbers. If, oh, no. Good for the Jews. Yes. All right. So our last category is uh, whether or not we feel like this film is good for the Jews. If this is something, you know, people even thought about then or like nowadays, um, Michael, you're our guest. Would you like to kick this category off? Yeah. I mean, I would say absolutely good for the Jews and that um, Judy Holiday, Jewish movie star, won an iconic Oscar against, you know, very stiff competition. That's good for the Jews. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it makes you want to read a book. Nice. 
Harry? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it is a good Jewish movie. I think her character, I've kind of been convinced on the read that, you know, despite kind of the assimilatory, you know, dumb blonde of it all, which obviously we think the movie has disproven, I do think that uh, Judy Holiday kind of carries with her a certain Jewishness that's very appealing. It's very charming. So I would say, yeah, teetering kind of in between because, you know, like we said, this isn't anything, this movie's not offering so much explicitly about Jewish, but I think the reads that we got to in terms of, you know, being of the book, in terms of learning, even, you know, some of the more positive sides, I would say, of the assimilatory read, which obviously has, you know, sometimes some negative connotations in a Jewish context. But I think the more positive, just, you know, being Americans embracing that, I would say this is uh, pretty good for the Jews. Daniel, you agree? You know, I I do on that front, but I, 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 I want to know, like, you know, I'll kick it back to you for a second, but like, how does the whole HUAC communist thing like feed into it? Like if she wasn't, if it, if it was Marilyn Monroe playing this role and there was like no Jewishness to, to even call into question, would it be better for the Jews because it didn't ruffle any feathers and bring to mind like any issues? Like I, I love all the reads about the book, you know, you bring her Yiddishisms and, and, and being a smart, you know, bookish kind of person. And for that reason, I'll say that part is good for the Jews. However, like the whole, notion that she could be a communist and it bringing to light a lot of issues, you know, so I don't know. Well, I'll say this, HUAC, HUAC was unambiguously bad for the Jews. So (laughs) that is not, not um, under question, but uh, I don't think that this movie moved the needle on like the red scare happening, you know, just because it existed. Like she was, you know, I think the fact that she, kind of waltzed through her hearing and wasn't ruined by it mm-hmm. is good for her uh yeah. and good for maybe by extension the Jews. I mean yeah. I I I feel like it, it's interesting question like if Marilyn Monroe was in this part would it be you know if it had made, been made like 2 years later she probably would have starred her. Right. Um yeah. and that would have been bad for uh you know Judy Holiday being a uh, a, a Jewish movie star. So I don't know. I'd, I, I, yeah, I, I guess, I guess don't, don't uh, put the sins of HUAC on, okay. on this movie existing. I think you've convinced me that makes sense. Yeah. And, and uh, you're right. Yeah. I shouldn't do that. And it, like, it seems like relative to other people, other Jews as part of these HUAC hearings, she got off relatively Scott free ish, right? Like, like you said, she was able to, to move on in her career, star in a bunch of other movies um not a ton though sadly i think she passed away at age in her 40s from cancer yeah she 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 had breast cancer and died uh, at 43 in 1965 so it was a sadly truncated career she made a couple more movies actually with uh george cukor um and was on broadway throughout the 50s mm-hmm. um she didn't really love being a, a a movie star. She didn't really. She wasn't that interested in in Hollywood. I, I for my book, I interviewed her son, mm-hmm. uh, Jonathan Oppenheim, who said that she was very uneasy. She kind of kept her uh, Oscar in like uh, her her mother's room at the Dakota where she lived. She was really a New York gal, so she right. she, she didn't really pursue kind of Hollywood fame. Um, I think she was more comfortable in New York, more comfortable on Broadway. Yeah, interesting. I saw a trailer last night for that uh, Dean Martin and uh, the Judy Holiday Dean Martin movie. I got to check it out. Um, 
But upon listening to it, she did not have that voice at all. She kind of had, she was singing a lot in the movie, but I did not, I think that that voice is hopefully solely reserved for this movie, right? Oh yeah, no, that wasn't her real voice, but it was like, it's one of those things where people after the movie came out were disappointed that when they saw her in another role, she didn't have the Billy Dawn squeaky voice. And she would say like, I couldn't do that for this character if I tried, it's completely different character. So I think it was, you know, she did have to struggle with, uh, you know, an element of, of typecasting afterward. Right. Okay, Michael, you have successfully convinced me. I will not put the sins of HUAC um, on 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 Judy for this one. So I'm I'm planning my vote firmly. And this is film is good for the Jews for for the bookishness and and for her her Jewish sense of humor. I'll say. Um, but let's let's get down to what people you know tune into this podcast for they want to hear our arbitrary ratings on this film on a scale of one to five jewish starts david um you know in terms of cast and crew content and themes what are y'all thinking numbers from one to five not on the quality of the film i would you know i love the film but i'd like to hear from everyone else you know sort of where does this film lie it's a tricky one because Almost everyone involved in major roles was Jewish. You had a Jewish star, Jewish director, Jewish playwright, Jewish studio head. Um, but there's nothing explicitly Jewish about the movie at all. And yet, as we've been talking about it, I've and when I watched it last night, again, thinking about this, some of the, the Jewishness kind of popped out at me as a kind of intrinsic in the movie. So I would give it like a, I, I don't really know how your math works for this system, but like I would give it like arbitrary. a like yeah. a 3.8. I don't know. Okay. Strong. Yeah, I mean I think, you know, for us like the dividing line is is like two and a half. So like pa- anything past two and a half makes it more Jewish than not Jewish. Oh, then maybe a three. Maybe it's like a three. Okay. I don't know, but everyone involved behind the scenes are like Jew. So I don't know. And there's I'll no wrong with, answer, by the way. I'll, so but with, I'll what's stick interesting, with 3.8. Yeah, it's it's interesting what you say about the cast and crew, because I would say even some of the more explicitly Jewish content movies that we've discussed about, I mean, so often you have the issue with, you know, non-Jewish actors performing or a lot of the production or even a director who's not Jewish. And it's just, it is very powerful that, you know, even though it didn't fully translate to, I think, you know, the mission statement, I would say the movie, although I guess the bookishness, like we're arguing is kind of in line with the Jewish read, like it clearly pervades, you know, even just these actors and the neuroses of this character, like it doesn't, you know, I'd have to study more of their films, but it doesn't feel like how Marilyn Monroe would have played the part. You know, there, there is a slight difference in terms of like a sarcasm, in terms of like a, a quickness, like, a you know, the way that you know, Billy's character kind of raises her voice that, you know, you might not see from another performance. So uh, just to throw a number on it, I think I'm going to give it a lot of points for just how Jewish it is in the production. I think it's going to get me past that three hump and call this even a more Jewish film. I think, you know, we, Daniel and I joke about how we do not look back at our previous rankings. So it's possible, you know, whatever number I'm going to give it is like, you gave that a 3.5 and this movie a three, like, I don't know, but I'm going to give it like a 3.3 ish, you know, pushing it a little over the edge. It's not hitting you over the head with its Jewishness, but you know, I like that I can firmly call this a Jewish movie and say, yeah, like this clearly done by Jews, you know, with a Jewish sensibility. 
But uh, Daniel, are you gonna kind of heel turn us, or are you gonna get on board this, you know, this promoting juice train that I think we're on? Okay, so basically, if I don't get on your train, then I'm not promoting the Jewish content. I realized, yeah, I realized as I said it that I kind of trapped you. No, you can, you have free reign to give it whatever you think is appropriate. I don't want to sway your vote in any way. I mean, at this point, if I like just do as expected, is it really like a heel turn, or it's just kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I love the movie, and I love that there's like Jewish creative people behind the scenes you know you have judy holiday we have george kukor we have garson kanan um so but that's just like one third of our arbitrary metrics um i don't know i might like nothing about the plot is jewish we have the nice sense of humor and this sort of like bettering yourself by learning of the book so that's good um I'm just kind of I like jogging. Right, the I'm themes, just, I think. I'm kind exactly. of like vamping a little bit so I can stall yeah. and make up. But, I, but I think you're right that it's a little more thematic than it might be, you know, content-wise. Yeah. So I don't know. Three, two and a half. I don't want to be let. I don't want to let everyone down. You can you could fall below the two and a half line if if that's how you feel. We need we need some diversity on our uh, sure our sure. Scores. Um, yeah, two point seven five. What do you think about that? Or 2.1776 in honor of the founding of America, you know. So 2.17 or two, yeah, sure, why not? I don't know. I'm trying to fit in a clumsy 1776 pun. So whatever that is, is going to be my score. Does that work? Okay. That's awesome. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Can we, uh, just a note for the editor, can we put like the Star Spangled Banner anthem underneath when I'm (laughs) doing my. Michael Schulman, thank you so much for being here on Jews on Film to discuss Born Yesterday. Uh, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about yourself and your book and where people can find you and and uh, you know chat a little bit more about your book and other things you have going on. Sure. Well, the book is out now. It's called Oscar Wars, A History of Hollywood in Gold, Sweat, and Tears. There's a whole chapter on this Oscar race, as I said, uh, but also a lot of Jews are covered in the book. Um, everyone from Louis B. Mayer to Harvey Weinstein and a lot of nicer people in between. <laughs> um, Steven Spielberg is on the cover. Kirk Douglas on the cover. Um, so there's that. Uh, I'm a staff writer at The New Yorker, so you can find my work there. Um, and I'm on Twitter, MJ Shulman. And yeah, that kind of covers it. Are you on that newfangled threads? No, no, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't dipped into threads. I'm like the last person in the pool with, with new things like that. So we'll see. No rush. I just oh, and also to... I forgot to mention it's we're talking on George Cooker's birthday. Happy birthday, right? George! Happy birthday, George Cooker! Happy birthday! May your memory be a blessing. Uh, a great Jew, a great gay Jew. Is that right? Okay, nice. Yes. Oh my God, he was like the center of gay Hollywood. He had like pool parties with lots of men at his house. So. Was he so he was kind of like sort of out, like not or was he it was kind of like a well known thing that he was open open secret situation. Open. Got it. Cool. Yeah, you're right. And he was born in eighteen ninety nine on the lower east side. Maybe he got a pickle at uh at uh Sam Posner's pickle shop from we did crossing Delancey last week. Um mm. uh, crossover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> crossover Delancey. I want us to also plug your your incredible recent article, your most recent article about the MCU in in the New Yorker that I read and really enjoyed, sort of painting the picture of the MCU from early comic book days until now. Um, you know, 
we'll definitely put a link to all those things in the show notes. But uh, oh yeah, and it was it was news to me as I researched that the history of Marvel Studios involves not one but two eccentric Israelis. Who? Avi Arad and who else? And uh, Ike Perlmutter. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jews, they're everywhere. Love it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much to, for listening, everyone. Uh, you've made it this far. Just make sure to follow us on social media. Uh, you can email us at jewsonfilmpod at gmail.com if you have any you know, listener feedback or recommendations, things like that. Uh, we're on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram. I think we signed up for threads. Uh, so check us out. Have a good one. Shabbat shalom. And thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Jews on Film is hosted and produced by Harry Ottensasser and Daniel Zana. Harry edited this episode. Follow us on Instagram at Jews on Film and subscribe to our podcast to get new episodes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>